Think about your family for just a moment. If you were to think about your family in light of Hollywood, what would your family look like? Who would your family resemble or who resembles your family on, on television? You know, I date myself when I list some of these, but I began to think about television families this past week as to what uh, different models that we've seen from Hollywood. You've got, first of all, the bunkers. You know, I don't know if uh, hopefully nobody in this room is the model of the bunkers. And if you don't know who the bunkers are, then don't waste your time. But uh, this hard-nosed, patriarchal kind of father who's a prejudiced bigot, all, the, all those things. But you might be one of those maybe not quite Archie-level kind of guy, but you might be that and you've got the, the passive wife over here in tow with you and, and holding it all together. I, I don't know. Maybe your family's the Cosby family. I grew up watching the Cosbys. I love the Cosby family. I mean, how can you have a, a more beautiful family? Two white-collar professional workers and the dad's always at home. Have you ever noticed that? He's always home. You know, how can you be such a professional and always be home and never have work conflicts? And he's cooking. And just a beautiful family, but a great model. Maybe your family's the Adams family. A little kooky, a little different. I don't know. We'll just not have a show of hands on that one. Maybe yours is the Brady Bunch family. That, that perfect blend of a blended family. That, that blended family when, when the kids are so loving one another, there are six kids sharing two bedrooms and one bathroom. Can you imagine that in this day and age? I mean, that would never happen. You can't even get one kid or two kids to share a bedroom, let alone a bathroom sometimes. Or maybe you, you, one of my favorite families growing up is the family show that came on whenever I was growing up and that it didn't matter what else was on. Of course, I grew up in the dark ages when we had only three networks. And what else was on? We had one television in the house. What else was on? We watched the Waltons. Have we all ever watched the Waltons? Raise your hand. All right, you can kind of see reruns today. In fact, our kids, even when we were living in Africa, there was a short time that we got an English-speaking, a few English-speaking channels, and one of those actually showed the Waltons. So they thought that was on the American television back home, still current and all that kind of stuff going on. So it's a beautiful family surviving during the Depression. You know, it was never as good once John Boyd went off, but anyway, it was, it was a great show. It had a lot of great examples of, of a family that would stick together, ride out together when Grandpa got sick, when Grandma had her stroke, all that kind of stuff. They just were together. I would say out of all the families on television, the Simpsons or any of the other ones that I might be able to name in today's world, you know, I would say the Waltons, would be one of those families that I would hope that I could list off some characteristics that you would find in our home. But there are many different expressions of what the home looks like and what a family looks like. Be taking your Bibles and find the book of Colossians chapter 3. Because one of the great things about the family is there's no one way to do family. You might be the Brady Bunch family. You might be the Adams family. You know, but the Adams family, you've got to admit, they, they got it figured out. I mean, they're kind of kooky. But they, they stayed together. They were loyal to one another. They, so your families don't all have to look the same, dress the same, act the same, school the same, talk the same, hang out with the same people. In the same. You know, you can have a lot of different expressions of what a family looks like. But I'm thankful to God that He did give us, in the midst of allowing our families to have their own personalities and their own interests and their own side things that they do as a family, I'm so glad that God allowed us to have families that have some guidelines, 
some, some direction, some kind of, here's a good way to go with your family. Here's a good way to go with your marriage. Here's a good way to go with it. And the thing is, is your family may not like what my family likes, and my family may not like what your, your family likes, and my traditions may absolutely run amok with your traditions. But whatever your family is, there are some things, thank God, that He gave us that I think should be kind of pillars in the home. And these pillars now can be decorated however you want to decorate it with your personalities and traditions and, and interests. But really, these pillars are the pillars that hold the family up no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what the personality of the family is. These are the pillars that kind of keep us going. And in Colossians, as we've been talking about the family, uh, excuse me, we've been talking about what real, 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 real stuff Christianity looks like. I think it's just so apropos that, that as we kind of, kind of come to the end, and we're kind of ending at the end of the runway here with Colossians, that as we've talked about last two weeks what the new you looks like, that it's only natural that we might now talk about what the family might look like in pure, real stuff, Christianity. That there's actually a Christian effect upon the family that when Christ is at the center of the home, that there's going to be some ripple effects into the family. It's going to help, it's going to affect you individually. We've talked about that for two Sundays now, but it's also going to affect your family and how your family functions and operates and thinks and processes and, and, and does things. And there's one thing that you've got to understand. It's a life principle. You've got to get it down and get it down really clear. And as a healthy marriage serves others, an unhealthy marriage serves self. And that's one of the big life principles that you gotta, 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 gotta get down because I tell you what, there's a whole lot of people, and I don't do a whole lot of marriage counseling, but a whole lot of the time that I do a, a little bit of marriage counseling, a whole lot of the time is it comes in and he doesn't see me and she doesn't understand me and they don't do this and it's me, 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 me. And I know that it probably evolved and it got there and now it's just blowing up on, and I'm getting all the, the shrapnel of it all. But, but, but the realization is, is that a really healthy marriage has the concept, has built into the DNA of the family. I I am here to serve you. I am looking out for you. What are your best interests? What's your love language? What's your personality? And how how can I deny myself? This goes back again last week. goes back to men's fraternity. If I'm going to live, I've got to what? Die. If I'm really, really, really going to see this happen, I'm going to get past the selfishness, and I'm really going to have a serving others mentality, then I've got to die. I've got to put a little bit of me on the altar every day, a whole lot of me on the altar every day. If you're going into marriage before what you get out of marriage, then you're going into marriage for the wrong reason. What you bring to each other, how you complete one another, now we're talking about a healthy beginning. How can I help you and how can you help me and how can we help one another and how can I serve you and how can you... But when you enter into it, when I enter into it to a self-serving what's in it for me, then that is a very unhealthy beginning. Colossians gives us some parameters. It's, it's, it's amazing how in, in, in this Colossians passage how he deals with parenting and real stuff Christian parenting and he deals with real stuff marriages and he just kind of rolls it all up in four verses. Now Paul's brief. In this, okay. 
There's not a whole lot of elaboration on this. There's not a whole lot of detail on this. He just kind of gives us very quickly here, bullet points, boom, 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 boom. And then as you unpack them, now this is the beauty of it, is that how you unpack it and how it looks in your marriage may be different than how exactly it looks in my marriage, but, but the foundation and the pillars are there. And that's what we've got to get down. And one of the things that you'll see in the very outset of this passage of Scripture is that Every one of these instructions, you mark, you tell me if I'm wrong, every one of these instructions has the posture of me serving you. Or if it's, if it's directed to the wife, it's the wife serving the husband. Or the husband, it's the husband serving the wife. Or if it's the children, it's the children Initially, on their own accord, volunteer, voluntarily saying, Hey, I am, I'm going to serve what you're saying. And it's always, 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 in all four of these instructions, is it's other person interested. It's other person on the other side of this relationship that is focused. It's not focused on me and what's in it for me and how can I protect me. It's always focused on the other in the relationship. He says it, read with me in Colossians 3, 18, beginning of verse 18, and then the verse 21. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For it's well-pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Four instructions that he gives us there, and each one of those is a voluntary action that the person who's hearing it, husbands do this, wives do this, you voluntarily stick yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, if you will, and do this action and follow through with this. When he says uh, wives, what does he say? Wives be subject to your husbands. When he talks about, he talks about uh, the husbands, husbands love your wives. He says, children, children, be obedient to your parents. Fathers, I think it's all parents, but fathers in particular, listen, don't exasperate your children. There's just four commands there. And every single one of those is a voluntary action that I make. And I've got to emphasize that because, guys, if you think you're going to go home from here today and say, honey, you're supposed to be subject to me, uh, get ready for a foot somewhere, either in your mouth or in your backside. You're going to get a foot somewhere. It's not your job, it's not my job to make my wife subjective to, subjective to me, submissive to me. You know what? I can't make her subjective to me. And you know what? Likewise, husbands love your wives. You know what? A wife can't make a, make a husband love her. He chooses to love her. He voluntarily gets in the relationship and he initiates a love relationship. You know, children, you can, you can say I'm making my children obey me. You can say I've got an ironclad fist. You can say I've got strict rules and there are Ten Commandments on the refrigerator. And, you know, you can tell them all the, 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 the ins and outs and the do's and the don'ts and the, and the reaper. You know what? They can still disobey you. They can still. In fact, you think about a child who one time was kind of had the rule of the house. Kind of got to do what he wanted to do and... Finally, the mother was throwing up her arms and just saying, I, I, I can't raise this kid. He's, he's eight, nine years old and, and he's not listening to me. And, and so she goes to a counselor and the counselor observes actions going on. And the counselor says this, you know what? You need to realize that that child rules the house, not you. And you need to go back into the home and you need to establish yourself as the authority figure in the home and not your child as the authority figure in the home. 
It was every time he went through Walmart, I want that candy bar, and he cried until he got that candy bar. I want this, I want that. And so she was kind of the child ruled the house. And so finally the job was to go clean the bedroom, and the kid didn't clean the bedroom. And so the mother sitting back in there and sitting back in there, and finally it was just this constant battle back and forth. And so she says, okay, you can go sit in that chair until you're ready to clean your room. No, I'm not going to do it. You sit in that chair and physically put him up, put him in the chair. And he crossed his arms. He says, I may be sitting down the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, uh, that's a child who may be physically doing what you want them to do, but in their heart they're not. It's only a matter of time before they will do what they want to do at another time. A child must choose to obey the parent. All of these actions, all of these things are in an idea that I am here to serve the other person and I'm doing it voluntarily. You cannot force this. And so I've got four things that he mentions here that I, I don't have time to elaborate on all, all, one of them. But I hope what we can do is we can take a quick look. And maybe if all I do today is stir your pot and stir your marriage and deal with parenting and I just get you thinking in this direction, that will be a beautiful thought. And if I don't leave you with a lot of loose ends today, then please don't forgive me. That's my intention. All right? My intention is to leave you with a lot of loose ends so that you will pick up those loose ends and now figure out how they need to be neatly tied. We're going to be spending January and February here dealing with the family in our small groups, dealing with a marriage enrichment time. We're going to be dealing with a whole lot of this in the months ahead, but just kind of hang with me on this. Today's loose end day. Today we're going to unravel some pieces. And so and some of it's going to make you a little uncomfortable. Some of it you're not going to agree with. Some of you are going to call me this and you're not, oh, whatever. Let's get, jump into it. The very first thing he says is to the wife. And this is the hardest pill to swallow. It says, wives, willingly follow the leadership of your husband. He says it there when he says, wives, be subject to your husbands. That's a hard pill to swallow because we don't like that. We think it feels an inferiority. It's, it's a, it's a, it makes us lesser than, than, than the other. The women should take the initiative, remind you. The husband cannot, should not, I would never counsel a husband to go into a home and say, wife, you are to be subjective to me. But a wife must understand the, the precarious situation, posture if you call it that, that she goes in when she enters into this relationship and she says, I am willing to follow your leadership. I willingly, emphasis on willingly, follow your leadership. That's very tough, and how, do you, how does that look, and what does that really look like? It gets tough, and so what we're going to do is, again, I have very little time in, in the time that we have, enough, just enough to open up cans of worms today, but I want us to take some snapshots today, some family portraits of what a picture of a family looks like, and how does that, how does that look? How can I unpack that? I mean, again, you look at the verse and it says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. How does that look in 21st century America? And how can I maintain the faith and, 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 and observe that all as one? You know, I thought, I thought about when you go, what, what, what do you do when you go get a picture? You go to, and you pay this studio uh, person, this photographer, and you sit down in front of the camera and, and they get the family all lined up and they're looking and they're, I mean, they've got the eye for it. They've been trained. They've been doing this for years. They make a living doing this. And they're looking at you and they tell you, okay, now lean forward, tilt your head up over a little bit, smile and look natural. You know? 
that doesn't look natural. That doesn't look good. And I can't, I can't do that. But you know what amazing thing happens? You get the picture back and you look good. An unnatural, a seemingly unnatural pose can create a beautiful picture. And some of the things we're going to talk about today will be a very unnatural pose, but when lived out can be a beautiful picture. And so the first pose that we need to look at is to the wives, wives and being willing to to follow the leadership. What does that look like? I, I would encourage you to enjoy the security and serenity of this position. This is a position that God has had man in from the very beginning. Mankind, in fact, whenever Eve was the one who committed the sin, it was God who held Adam responsible. You read the story. Why was that? Because the husband should be the leader. The husband, the man should be a spiritual leader. He should be a, 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 a mental leader, a, 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 an emotional leader in, in, in the family. And Adam was off and he wasn't being the leader that he should. And God held Adam responsible for that. And my encouragement to the ladies today is to find some way to enjoy the security and the serenity of knowing that your husband is leading and trust in that that ultimately he will be held accountable for his leadership. Don't hold that over his head. Well, God's going to deal with you. Okay, that doesn't work. But the whole concept of that I am going to believe you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to go with you. I'm not only going to give you my children, I'm not only going to give you my body, I'm not only going to give you my life, but I'm going to give you my trust. And finding serenity and, and security in that can be a sweet thing. The second thing I want to say to the wives today is that in this posture that seems so unnatural as you bend and twist forward and you go in a way that seems so unnatural, is that that you will know where your value lies. That as you willingly submit to the leadership of the husband, that you will not attach the leadership to value. Here is your value. Here is who's calling the shots, okay, or who's leading the way. I would say it like that. It's a better way to say it. And so who is it? And sometimes we attach value of who we are to that. Listen, in no way, in no way, I'll say this again, in no way are you a lesser person because you are willing to do the way God instructed us to do. You are not at all a lesser person. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, He said, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. There's not one because I'm subject, the wife is subject to the husband, now I'm the inferior one in the family. Not at all. In fact, I will, I will give you this as some fat to chew on this week. I will say that you might be the superior one. That if truly you are an equal individual, equal in God's eyes, equal in creation, but you willingly say, I'm going to allow you to lead the family. Instead of having two heads and two heads becoming a monster, I'm going to let you lead. I would dare say that the superior one who has equal value and equal say of their life, but they're willing to say, hey, I'm willing to follow your leadership. I'm willing to go with you. That person is the superior one. Because they have humbled themselves. They have made themselves in line with Christ and His will and His, His design for the home. Husbands, here's some encouragement, some admonition for you. That under this principle, under this heading, 
that you need to lead by example. You need to be the one out in front because notice this, that the wife is okay to be subjective to your leadership as is fitting in the Lord. If you ever ask your wife to do anything contrary to God's Word, she should not. That's why you have got to be so in tune. So in tune with what God's will is. And I'm talking to the men now. You've got to be so in line with God's will for your life that you are leading by example. Okay? You're, you're, you're the ones out in front leading by example. I'll, here's another, another admonition for the men. is be a, be a pace setter. Be a pace setter in the relationship. Don't assert yourself to the leadership position if you're not willing to lead. Can I say it to you again? Men, I'm talking to you now. Don't assert yourself and don't allow your... Don't do it if you are not willing to be the one who spiritually leads the home. If you can't be the one who sits down at the table and calls the family to prayer. If you can't be the one who rises up and says, you know what, there's a faith in action item here that we need to step up. We need to be the family that takes care of this, meets this needs. We're, we're going to be the ones that, that I'm, as the husband, I'm going to lead the family to be the compassionate one. When it comes to giving, I'm going to be the one that sets the, sets the pace and encourages our family to make sacrifices and make commitments. Don't sit passively by watching it go by. And say, but I'm the leader. You're a leader when you lead. You're a leader when you're a pace setter. You're a leader when you set the example for the family to follow. Then you're a leader. And I dare say if you're a godly leader, there will be very few wives who won't follow in your leadership. We talk about this in men's fraternity in the very first uh, sessions that we did uh, a year ago. And we defined what manhood was. And we said that manhood is when we reject passivity and we accept responsibility. And as a man in a home, in a Christian home, I need to quit pushing the responsibility of being spiritual leaders and servants in the church and givers in the church and whatever else, that to the wife. But I need to be the one who steps up and accepts responsibility. Guys, if we're going to lead, let's lead by example. If we're going to want our wives to be subject to us, let's give them something to follow something to model. Wives, it's hard, but be willing to follow the husband's lead. Number two. Number two. Husbands, sacrificially love your wives. He tells us again there in verse 18, or verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, this is an interesting concept of when Paul's writing this, he's obviously writing it to a heavily Greek culture. Colossians is definitely under Greek rule. It's not, it's not in the Arab world. It's definitely a Greek culture, Greek mentality. And he's writing them, and under the Greek rule, basically a woman was a piece of property. A woman was a piece of property, and whatever the man wanted the woman to do, the, the woman did, and, and there did not. And this may just really just fly in the face of everything we know, but I can take you to African villages to this day that literally still operate like this, that women are a piece of property to work in the fields, to provide children for me. And, you know, that's just the way they live. And so that's just the way it is. Not saying it's right at all. 
And that's what Paul's doing. Paul is entering, enter, entering into a new paradigm. He's showing them, listen, husbands, guess what? Your wives aren't property. Love them. Love them. It's a new concept. I love my dog. I love my farm. I love my money. I love, I love a lot of other things. But love my wife? She's supposed to be taking care of me. And the whole concept of this is really a new concept. Now, we wouldn't enter into a relationship in America if we didn't feel like there was some kind of romantic love between us. But what happens in that marriage? The romantic love is there. Psychologists tell us it will last up to, up to 30 months that you have this euphoria. Most of it's less than that. But you have this euphoria in your marriage. And all of a sudden what happens is it can very quickly, husbands, if we're not careful, we can turn our wives from our mates, from our soulmates, to property. Be very careful with that. How do you do that? Well, you just assume she's always going to be there. You just take advantage of the fact there will always be food on the table. You just assume that there will always be clothes in the closet nicely folded. You just assume that her paycheck will always be there. And all of a sudden, it no longer is a romantic relationship between husband and wife where there's a clear communication of love between each other and it becomes property. My question to the men today, is your wife somebody you're madly in love with or is she just property? Paul encourages us to love our wives in Ephesians like Christ loved the church. And we know how much he loved the church. He died for the church. He was willing to sacrifice his, his very last breath for the church. You read Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, and you'll find how Peter says you need to dwell with your wives in an understanding manner and treat her, honor her, honor her, honor her as a weaker vessel. See, that's the kind of relationship that a Christian marriage looks like. Husbands, here's a couple of portraits for you. Jot jot them down that you might look again. They're maybe a little unnatural, but at the same time, they leave a beautiful picture of your family. Never let your wife wonder if you love her. Never let your wife wonder if you love her. Heard an old country boy say one time that when he got married, he told his wife he loved her, and if he ever changed his mind, he'd let her know. You know? Funny, sad, whatever, but I'm afraid that sometimes the wife is left to wonder. One of the best books you can read on marriage relationships, I'm afraid it it ought to be actually required reading before you get married, is Harvey's book, His Needs, Her Needs. Absolutely awesome book. Pick it up, read it, study it, apply it. You'll find that what Harvey says after years and years of studying and counseling families, he said that the number one need of a woman is affection. She needs to know and have an environment of love in the home. That there's affection around her. That she is adored and she is admired and and she's oot over just like she was whenever you were courting her. Never let your wife wonder if you love her. Second pose for a man is realize that love is a verb. That if you love your wife, show your wife. You love her. Show her. If you you don't know what that looks like, look at 1 Corinthians in your own time, chapter 13, where he talks about all the things that love does. It's a verb. It's action. It's 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 in movement. It's it's patient. It's kind. It's it bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. That's what love looks like. Henry David Thoreau said it like this: Love is 
the only investment that never fails. It's a beautiful statement. Love is the only investment that never fails. The challenge for the men today is don't treat your wife as property. Treat her as an honored vessel and love her. Create an environment, an environment of affection. Wives, here's a portrait for you. Never let your husband wonder if you respect him. The man is to initiate this. The man is to step out today and to go home to the, today and say, you know what? We need to pray more. We need to pr- give more. We need to read more. We need to do more. We need to. He takes that initiative. Don't berate him. Don't take him down. Build him up. Men need that respect. It's why most marriages, according to Norman Oliver, he said that most marriages will end in divorce when the husband doesn't have a job. I don't have time to go into all of that. But because so much of the respect of a man is found in his job. Respect your man. Love him and show that you love him. Admire him. Admire his work. Pay attention to what he's interested in. That's showing respect. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Jot it down. The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Psychology Today did a study in June of 86 where they studied thousands of couples that were happily married. They pulled them and they separated them out. The men over here, the women over here. They got them, they got them separated out and they started asking. These were happily married couples for a long time. A lot of couples that are married for a long time aren't happy. These were happily married couples that were married for a long time. They just interviewed them. Just, just let them talk. Tell us about your relationship. Tell us what makes it great. Tell us why you like your spouse. Tell us why you love your spouse. And on and on and on and on. And they said there were two statements that continued to pound their way through every interviewer's head. It continued to be said, and these were the statements that these healthy marriages said about one another. My spouse is my best friend. And number two, I like my spouse as a person. That's respect. I respect you. I love you. You're my best friend. I can't think of living a day or moment without you. It's not the duty I'm going to pick up the phone and call her because if I don't call her, then it's not. No. That's the property thing. That's the ownership thing. It's doing it because you love her. Husbands, sacrificially love your wives. I want to talk to the children for a moment now. Children, it says in, in the Word to obey your parents. Obey your parents. Humbly listen and obey your parents. Now, I realize that we don't have as many children in this room. They're there and there and in other parts in between or, or whatever. And we have primarily in this room, if we have anything, are teenagers. So I really, I really need to speak in large part to teenagers, but it all applies the same. And the whole concept here, every one of these... Wives, you choose to be willing to follow the leadership of your husbands. Husbands, you be the one who keeps the love relationship alive. Keeps the, 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 the flame. You be the tender of the flame, okay? You keep that alive in that love relationship. But he also comes to the children. He says, children, you willingly, willingly, humbly, Listen to your parents. Obey your parents. Very, very carefully on this because, the, to, to, real quickly, two poses that I think a children, a children need to understand, youth, teenagers need to understand, is that when we are doing this is that we are, here's a portrait for you, we just don't want you to repeat our stupidity. 
is what it comes down to nine times out of ten. I was a teenage boy once. I was every mother's nightmare of bringing home for many years of my life. I had all the hormones and all the thoughts that every other teenage boy had, unbridled. And when a parent is saying to their daughter or to their son, don't do this. Be careful about this. Watch out for this. They're really saying in large part, listen, I did the same thing. I've been in the same situation. And I don't want you to get burned. We think about a child, we tell them, you know, we tell them all, all the things not to do. You know, you can tell your child, you know, don't put your hand on the burner and, you know, don't play in the street and don't eat yellow snow and all this kind of stuff. There's a reason behind it. You made mistakes at some point in your life. So, so, so teenagers realize this. Your, your, your parents really do love you. Which brings me to the, the next pose here is that don't view us as your enemies. Really, don't, don't view us as your enemies, okay? And I, I can tell you today that, that in no way am I a perfect parent, and neither are you, so you can get past that. I've got three witnesses in this room are three witnesses in this building today that can tell you I'm not a perfect parent. I lose my temper. I'm all of the things that many times I really regret that I am. And you know what? Lori and I jokingly, but we realize, and I think it's actually probably quite healthy, our children will need counseling from us sometimes, uh, away from us sometimes. <laughs> we say that jokingly because this is a part of the issues is, is that when a child is growing up and they're looking at their parents at first, we're like gods to them. And then, they, and then, and then as, as they go a little longer, then they realize, that, hey, there's different views out there, and they start trying those different views out there. And, 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 and maybe they worked, and maybe they didn't work. And, 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 and so we're going on about it, and then we think, okay, you know what, you're just trying to keep me from fun. And you, you can go through a whole lot of battles in there, but there have been, there have been times even in recent days, that I may be saying to our kids, you know, don't do this or please do this or you know, whatever the case may be. And, and they look at me as if I'm trying to kill them. I'm trying to reach into their heart, in their chest, and pull out their heart and show them that I have control over them. And really, I'm doing this because I love them. And I've literally in, in times, in the emotions that come up, as you know, and maybe y'all don't have to deal with them, but we do, uh, the emotions that come up in that, in that moment that I have to push back from the table a little bit and I have to say, Jordan, Caleb, Joshua, I want you to realize that we only do what we do. Truly. Because I can say this with all my heart. There's not a single person on this planet that loves you like I love you. I am your biggest advocate. I will give my life for you. And the only reason I might be saying no to something and yes to this is because I want the very best for you. And so, please, children, teenagers, don't see us as your enemies. Learn from our own stupidity. And here's another one for the parents. Parents, patiently guide your children. Patiently guide your children. Paul speaks specifically to the father here. Now, I extended it to the parents. Because I think sometimes it's the fathers who cause the greatest 
difficulty in this. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate your children. One of the poses here, number one, we aren't always right, so let's admit it. And when we take the posture that we're always right and we're never wrong, then we enter into an adversarial relationship because in reality, they know the truth. And if I can't look at my children and say, you know what, I am wrong, all it is is my pride rearing its ugly head. And all that does is puts one more brick in, in a wall that separates us. And I don't want that. The second portrait here that we need to know is that know each child's bend and parent towards it. I don't think you, you can say that all children have to go this way. They're different personalities. They do things differently. They respond differently. You think you have one child and you think all children are going to be this way until you have another one. And you think, okay, I've got a boy and a girl. That's what happened with us. I've got a boy and a girl, so they're all the same now from this point forward. No, we had, a, we had another boy. And he's different than all of them. So it's understanding your child and, and instead of trying to make them like you, instead of trying to take them where you wanted to go, find out where their bend is. That's when it says, when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Literally in Proverbs, when it says, train up a child in the way he is bent. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Understand his direction. Understand his bent. Understand her bent. And lead that way. Some, some students went in to see, they were a part of Teen Inc. magazine, and they went in to see the Secretary of State when he was the Secretary of State, Colin Powell. Now, you've you got to imagine, this is one of the most powerful, influential men in the world, and these teenagers are going in to interview him. Their knees are knocking and they're going in to sit down and talk with him and, and ask him a few questions about his years and growing up in the Bronx of, of New York and how did he get to where he's at today and on and on and on. So as they were talking, they asked this question, the marker moments in his life. What was it that really made the difference in your life? He said, there are many turning points in my life. This is Colin Powell speaking. The thing that always comes to me late at night when I'm thinking about my growing up years is a sense of a close family. I was not anything to speak of as a teenager and without my close family who believed in me, I wouldn't have gotten out of the Bronx. Now think about what a difference. Who's going to be the next Colin Powell? Who's going to be the next Billy Graham, the Mother Teresa? I don't know that they'll come out of, very many chances that they'll come out of homes that are not close, that are a beautiful portrait. Yeah, there are going to be times that you're going to be asked to lean in, bend, tilt your head, smile, look natural. It's not going to be natural. But on the end, when you look at it, it will be a beautiful picture of a beautiful family. This Christmas season, band, if you'll come on back up here, this Christmas season is one of those times I think is a beautiful time where faith and family becomes the focus. It's amazing how you know, faith and family, it's really about Christ, but all of our families kind of come together. We kind of use this holiday time as an excuse to kind of bring together. So I, I want us to, to just think for a moment and, and listen to this song and, and join in singing when you're comfortable singing and and whatever, as we think about going into Christmas, is it just going to be about presents? Or will you be able to maybe make a recommitment of your family and your faith 
And will you bring them together in a beautiful harmony with one another?